0: I'm Sarah Resnick, and I'm LaShawn Moore, and we are the hosts of The Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber.
1: Hi, everyone. I hope all is well. I know these are challenging times, and my hope is that we all do our best to find positivity and to not lose faith for the better days that are to come. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Kelsey Doty. Kelsey is a Ph.D. candidate at Cornell University and faculty at Kansas State University. Kelsey's work aims to teach the next generation of fashion professionals about design and sustainability through scientific research and experimentation of natural dyes and natural materials for the commercial market. Hey, Kelsey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Can you start out by introducing yourself and telling us about your background? Um, well, hello. My name is Kelsey Doty and
0: I am a PhD candidate at Cornell University. I'm in my final year. Um, I'm actually just right now finishing up my dissertation on natural dye use in uh mostly the United States. And this this year I'm actually on fellowship, which means um Cornell lets me live and work wherever I like, and um, I am working part time at Kansas State University, so I'm actually an instructor there and um, finishing up my dissertation at the same time.
1: Wow. And can you talk about how you found yourself in the opportunity with Cornell University?
0: Um, so let me just let me just give you a bit of my my story there then. Um, So I actually grew up in rural Kansas, kind of out in the country, nothing much around me. Um, (laughs) Both of my parents are really incredible makers. And so um, my father is just really an exceptional craftsman himself. He um, makes musical instruments. He's a luthier. He makes furniture. He makes all these things. And he really is um, just incredible when it comes to becoming obsessed with something and then getting really good at making it. And my mother too, she, um, she was always gardening throughout my childhood and just making quilts and, and sewing projects and always had something going on. So, um, I really had the, the best childhood growing up around people who love to make things. And so when I was an undergraduate in college, um, I really was drawn to to degrees that allowed me to make something. And so at first it was art. And I thought, oh, art is amazing. Um, maybe I'll become like an art teacher, always making things. Uh, and then I started working at a clothing store selling clothes. And I was like, no, wait, fashion. This is it. This is a thing <laughs> I could see myself doing forever. Um, you're not only making something that is like, Utilitarian and wearable. You can also make something beautiful and something that um, really connects to someone's personal identity. I just it clicked immediately, and so um, Kansas State University actually had a has a fashion program. It's an incredible program, and so I started off um, with my undergraduate there, and uh, uh, I got married to my partner Derek. You know, when I was pretty young and I was an undergrad, and so. Um, we lived close by and I drove in every day to go to school, uh, and I still didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my degree. I wasn't sure kind of the path it would lead me down. I just knew I was in the right place. And so it was just kind of one day I was walking down the hallway when it really clicked for me, I was like, oh, okay. So I can combine fashion and like making and teaching others and And like have a job and it's called academia. I could, I was like, I don't know how it just really clicked. I was like, Oh, right. This is amazing. Once again, I was like, I could be a professor. Um, I could have summers off. No, that's not true though. We actually don't get summers off. It's just, uh, we don't get paid, but still (laughs) it would be incredible opportunity. And then, you know, um, part of my job could be making things. And so it was just like this lightning bolt seriously, in the middle of a hallway, like in between passing periods. Um, but I had no idea how I could ever go to grad school. I like, I just didn't know the first thing of what grad school even was. Like, how do you become a professor? What is research? And like all these questions popped up because I am a first generation college student. And so um, just going to college in and of itself was a huge deal. And then um, trying to figure out what, how you keep going in college was even like a huge hurdle. Um, And so uh, one of my professors suggested the McNair Scholars Program, which is this really fantastic program that happens at lots of universities and it helps um, underrepresented minority and first generation students get into graduate school. And so I am a, a white woman, but because I am first generation, I was able to apply to the program and I'm really grateful I um, got in and had that opportunity with the McNair Scholars Program because um, what they do is they pay for you to do research over a summer with a professor. And so um, I kind of, I had two professors I could choose between. One did historical costume research and the other one researched the color fastness of natural dyes. And so I went and talked to both professors and they told me their projects and what they were working on. And I was like, oh, I don't really love <laughs> history of fashion. <laughs> Sounds terrible, but <laughs> it's just like, it, I, I like it, but it's just not like being inside and being in a, you know, a collection. This isn't my idea of like the perfect time. But, but the other professor working on natural dyes like that I was really interested in because, you know, this professor uses natural dyes as part of her creative research, but then also uses her research, um, looking at the color fastness of natural dyes, how well they stick to kind of inform how she would use natural dyes for her creative projects. And so I just thought that was really fascinating. Um, and so I, I decided to work with Dr. Sherry Har, who is the professor here at Kansas State University using natural dyes. Um, and we did a research project that summer, I have to say, it was really incredible of her to do that. It was an unpaid, like she was not paid to help me. Um, and, you know, she really took a chunk out of her summer to mentor me through my first research project. And wow. so, um, yeah, it was, it was really a incredible experience. And so after that, I was pretty hooked and I was like, great, this is incredible. Like this is an incredible um, way to, to spend time and to do research and to really contribute to a, you know, broader body of knowledge. And so um, I continued working with Dr. Haar through my undergrad, gotten to grad school to get my master's at Kansas State University, where Dr. Haar and I continued doing um, natural dye research, looking at the color fastness of um, it was sawdust um, from Kansas native trees, namely Osage orange, um, Eastern red cedar and black walnut. And so <laughs> um, that was my master's project and um, during that time as an undergraduate and a master's student, I had my two children, Emmett and Harvey, and so I have to say too, all of the faculty were really supportive and really compassionate about me being a new mother and Mm. doing um, all these things for grad school. (laughs) So it was (laughs) a really great experience. Um, After I got my master's at Kansas State University, I took a year and and taught at Kansas State. I taught, four of the kind of upper level design courses. And, you know, when I was doing that, I was looking for a PhD program and I wasn't sure where I could go because I I knew I wanted to stick with natural dyes, but it's actually not, there's not a lot of people doing it or researching it in, um, you know, in our field in apparel and textiles and fashion design. So, Mm. um, I was, I was a little lost. I had no idea where I could go to continue my research and, you know, grow as a researcher and get my PhD. Um, And it was when I was at a conference, one of our conferences for our field, that a professor from Cornell approached me, um, Professor Denise Green. And uh, she's just an incredible recruiter (laughs) to begin with. And she was like, we have to go to breakfast. I want to talk to you about your research and my research and how they might fit together. Um, And I'm so glad she did, because when you just look at people's profiles on the on the Internet, (laughs) which I did a lot of time doing, you don't usually get the whole scope of what research they might be doing. Um, And so we had that meeting and, uh, you know, I was really I was really I was hooked instantly on wanting to work with her. And so we um, well, I I ended up applying to Cornell and being accepted. And so that was huge and so we actually moved our family four from kansas out to ithaca um to get my phd degree and so that is where i have been the last three years um it's a four-year program and so this is my fourth year we actually moved back to kansas for this final year um but uh that time you know at cornell has been just a a magical experience it's been um, an incredible group of You know, not only professors who are really strong in their research, um, but the 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 group of grad students, too, have been so supportive. And we all have our own, um, you know, our own interests and our own um, strengths. And it's just been um, just, you know, kind of a dream scenario for my for my doctoral degree.
1: It sounds amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, like I have so many questions that kind of have come out of that entire research project. One of the things that drew me to your work was seeing how basically the work that you're doing is is creating viability of natural fibers and natural dyes within the fashion industry. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, you're kind of carving out a space for that for that narrative within the larger fashion context and so I'm curious one of what some of your research findings resulted in like what were some of the color fastness results that you had for these materials oh. that you were using
0: yeah um, so for color fastness testing um, in in our field it's really a it's a, it's a very interesting process where you, Um, you have to have lots of different, um, repetitions of the exact same thing. And so you have these really strict rules. You have to follow like step one, step two, step three, and you have to be really exact with your temperature, with how much mordant you use with how much, um, scouring material you used. And like, you have to use specific testing fabrics. It's, it's incredibly rigorous. And, um, so it's it's fascinating in that way and that there's just this this real structure that you have to follow but then when you're using natural dyes it can be very unpredictable as i think most natural dyers know right and so it's just it um sometimes you kind of hit a brick wall with it but um it as long as you kind of keep to the exact specifications you, you do find some really fascinating things so in color fastness testing we do some some kind of basic tests where like you subject a swatch, something you've dyed. Um, for me, it was often wool. Um, wool takes natural dyes really well because of the fiber structure. And so you would subject this swatch to these different harsh conditions. So one would be washing it. Um, we had these containers with little steel marbles that you would put in it and like a certain amount of um, detergent. And you would put it in a machine. It would oscillate um, in warm water. And that was meant to represent, you know, like 10 hand washings and like mm. for that one sample. And then, um, for other samples, we'd ship them off to a testing lab and they subject them to, um, to what, like daylight conditions. And then you would see how much it faded over a certain amount of time. Um, and so that's called light fastness testing. And the first one's called wash fastness testing. And there's a lot of other different testings, but those, Those are the ones we kind of stuck with. I think they're the ones that concern consumers the most. And so um, it was really fascinating. Things do fade, of course, just like synthetic dyes. But um, I think in my master's work, when I dyed with black walnut sawdust, some of those swatches got darker instead of lighter because of um, the way the tannins interacted um, after we subjected it to, to daylight testing. So instead of getting lighter, like, it would if you left something in the window. Those swatches actually got a little bit darker, which was which was fascinating. Um, Osage orange, that dye, instead of getting lighter, it actually turned more brown, which was really interesting. And then eastern red cedar, that one just lightened up and <laughs> after light fastest testing. But it was, I thought it was really important to use eastern red cedar because it is an invasive species here um, on the Flint Hills and the Great Plains of Kansas. And so Uh, It was it was a really fascinating test. Um, So I have to say, like, through that time of my undergraduate graduate and my master's, like doing those really strenuous um, color fastest testing um, research projects, I was I was eager to get out of the lab. I'm a I'm a real people person. And so um, when um, Professor Green from Cornell approached me about interviewing dyers instead of like, you know, looking at the dyes themselves, I, I really jumped on it. And I thought that, and I, it has been just, um, just an incredible experience to actually get to go around and talk with, um, dyers about what they are doing and what they are seeing with dyes and, you know, what directions they're moving and what innovations they've discovered. It's, it's been incredible. So for my, um, for my dissertation, for my PhD work, I've actually been looking at natural dye use in the United States, not only just um, how people are using dyes, but why have individuals chosen to use natural dyes? Um, it's a labor of love. <laughs> so why mm-hmm. are we putting ourselves through it? I think is a really important question. Um, yeah, it's it's been a really cool journey along the way. Um, also, while I was at Cornell, I took a documentary filmmaking class and um, got a lot of documentary film mentorship from several professors. And so I've added that to kind of this qualitative research is also filming along the way. And so I'm I'm working on putting together documentary film um, about the use of natural dyes.
1: That sounds amazing. It's also really interesting to hear you talk about the tannins in the dyes Mm. and how they get darker because um, I grow naturally colored cotton and the tannins are what create the colors and they also, as you wash them, get darker and deeper, which I think is just, it's so interesting when you think about um, nature, you know, like how, how nature reacts to wear and tear versus how synthetics react to wear and tear so yeah that's super 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 fascinating you also collaborated with the cornell natural dye studio can you kind of talk about that collaboration as well
0: yeah so the cornell natural dye studio is um is headed by my major professor professor denise green um she is a force to be reckoned with she really knows how to pull people together um and create a project and so um actually our collaboration started pretty close I mean around the same time I started Cornell and so one of um one of my first projects was to work with the Menswear Company Woolen Prints um and Mac Bishop their founder um is a Cornell alum and so he came back and uh was talking with Professor Green about what they could do to be more sustainable and she's like well, why don't we try a naturally dyed collection of wool t-shirts and he was like, that sounds great. But, like, he was all on board um, and he was really supportive and he actually gave us like 80 wool t-shirts to naturally dye. Um, I kind mm. of underestimated how much work that would be. And so, so once the that first summer um, I was at Cornell, I actually um, took those 80 wool t-shirts and came back to Kansas State University with them and worked with Dr. Har to dye the 80 wool t-shirts in um, four different colors. And, uh, it was a tremendous amount of work, but it was really a fun process too. Cause then they sold the t-shirts online and we, um, had surveys. We sent out surveys to each person who bought one, um, and, you know, got a little bit of information back. Um, and so what that was some really of the
1: information that you got back.
0: Um, how often did they wash it? Did the color change? Like, did they perceive any color change? Um, Did they, you know, like, what were their own perceptions of the color once they received it? Did they receive any compliments? Um, Everything was was pretty positive. Um, The one thing that really, I think, caught us off guard was that the T-shirts are a wool nylon blend. And so they take natural dyes beautifully. They're just gorgeous. But at that point, what we hadn't really thought about was the stitching. the, The stitching on the shirts, all the seams were in polyester thread. And so they remained bright white, even though we had dyed... These shirts these really beautiful, saturated colors. And so that mm. what that's what got the most comments was the white stitching. Um, but since then, woolen Prints, Prince, um, you know, mitigated that and um, used natural threads for their collections afterwards of naturally dyed T-shirts. So <laughs> that's, like, one of those really cool learning processes. Um, after that, I've also done, like, color. I've sent color samples to... Um, some large brands, some natural dye colored samples, just, they were curious and wanted to know what, you know, colors they could possibly get. And so I have sent some color cards, um, to big brands about that. And then, um, our latest collaboration with Face Marjan, um, one of our Cornell alum actually works there. And, um, she mentioned how we did this work and the head designer was very, um, Very interested because it works well with their theme, um, their current theme. And so uh, I I actually was in charge of mordanting all the fabrics um, for that project. And if anyone doesn't know what mordanting is, that's the process of adding a metallic salt to the fabric. You usually have to soak it um, in warm, hot water with the metallic salt. before you can actually naturally dye, naturally dye with your fabric. And so um, for that project, I imported a lot of fabric um, and um, then had to leave before the whole hammering process really got going. But they did a beautiful job um, producing some really gorgeous textiles. So um, it's been really... um, Really informative to work with the Cornell Natural Dye Studio. Um, We've had a lot of obviously like students come and go through the studio and some really great just like learning and growth you know between collaborations between students and professors and so um, that's the studio has remained busy and of course we're always working and growing the Cornell Natural Dye Garden every spring summer and um, we have this beautiful glass building um, that we're housed in and so our garden grows it, it, our garden is magnificent because of all the warm sunshine that gets reflected off onto it from from our big glass mm-hmm. building. So it works out really well.
1: It's really exciting to hear you talk about creating commercial viability for the natural dye movement. And I'm I'm kind of curious if you can talk about what it takes to make natural dyes commercially viable.
0: Hmm. So I. My research has been really fascinating. I've got to talk to a lot of different voices and a lot of different perspectives on this. And I think the important thing to really keep in mind, first of all, is that, you know, synthetic dyes were um, discovered about 100, a little over 160 years ago. And ever since, you know, the industry has really adopted them, all of the time and money and resources and research has gone exclusively really into synthetic dyes, almost, you know, like... So much, so much really high tech chemical engineering, all those things have, you know, natural uh, synthetic dyes have really had all of that research done for them, you know? So they've been highly um, commercialized. They've made, you know, they've been perfected for mass commercialization um, and natural dyes have not. <laughs> so it's like now that we're coming back to it after 160 years, there is a lot of research that needs to be done and not just, mm. you know, by by us in the fashion field but like chemical engineers need to get on board um, textile scientists there's just so much work that needs to be done and so I think um, asking about natural dyes, you know that's kind of what I started off doing was asking like are they viable but I think now it's really the wrong question um, I think we need to first look at how much we consume because if we're keep consuming as much as we do I don't you know, I don't think natural dyes are always the best thing. I think um, we need to really revisit first of all how how many garments do we need, and then talk about like the best um, practices to fulfill our needs, right? Mm. And like what practices are those? And um, also, how do we forge more connections with our clothes? I think the things the thing that natural dyes have that synthetic dyes can never have is is a sense of place, right? And a time and, um, like, and, and, and memory and, and, um, significance of a certain plant to a certain group of people that, you know, synthetic, uh, a synthetic blue is a synthetic blue. There's like no place to it. And I think natural dyes have this incredible ability to, to give so much more meaning to an article of clothing. And so, um, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> Am I, really... I started off thinking like, oh, I just wonder if we can use them or not. But now it's really, my thinking has really changed throughout this research process. Right. Talking to so many, um, you know, production dyers and artists and, you know, people dying yarn and people dyeing garments.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I just think it's time for us to take a step back and like ask bigger questions than if natural dyes are right or not. I think it's like, Why are we doing what we're doing and how can we do it better? So, um, I, you know, I think natural dyes just overall need a lot more research, um, from a whole lot of different perspectives and, um, from the hard sciences, but also from like cultural scientists too and, um, anthropologists. And I think it's time for us to ask a lot more questions about our clothes in general. So that's, I think, the future.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I I absolutely understand and I agree as well. I think that I, I believe that like the limitations that natural dyes and natural materials create are sort of like gauges to really compare what it is that we are doing with synthetics and how we are exploiting a lot of resources to really mm-hmm. overproduce. There isn't enough farmland to grow enough indigo to make the amount of jeans that we produce yeah but then at, the the, at this is, moment is like, right yeah so then the question is like well then why do we need that many pairs of jeans you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it's, it's it's almost like a completely different It forces you to function under a completely different model when you are considering using these materials. And I think that them being natural materials, they work within the natural rhythm of the universe and and how things work and natural cycles. And so it's a completely different avenue that is absolutely worth more research. And I'm super excited for the ways in which people are kind of pushing forward and moving forward and creating those things.
0: Exactly. I always, um, I think it's really interesting. You're talking about natural textiles and like natural cycles. I always thought it's really telling or I don't know, foreshadowing that like natural dyes only work on natural textiles. They don't work on synthetic textiles. It's Mm -hmm. almost like this big red flag to me. It's like, Oh, well maybe, maybe we shouldn't use synthetic textiles. I don't know. Or maybe a lot less, you know, like really thinking about it. And then after all this stuff came out about, Synthetic textile shedding microfibers into the into our ecosystem, you know, it's like, oh, I feel like natural dyes are trying to tell me something the whole time. Maybe I should listen more. Um, just it just goes with that natural that the natural cycles.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. And you've mentioned a lot about working in Kansas and the different collaborators that you've had the opportunity to create with. Can you speak to your surrounding community? Do you feel that you live in like a, a fiber hub or a fiber community?
0: Um, Great question. Mm, so where I grew up in Kansas, um, there's actually a a really, there's quite a a large group of um, Holderman Mennonites. (laughs) I don't know if you've um, ever met anyone that was a Holderman Mennonite, but um, that's actually my whole extended family, like my grandmothers, uh, all my aunts and uncles, my cousins, all Holderman Mennonites. And um, the women always wear their own shirt, like homemade shirt waist dresses. And so um, a lot of kind of, where i come from has to do with that i think in a lot of ways and the community they build it's very insular um and i've only got to get you know i've only had glimpses of it from the outside really and going to family reunions but um i think it's really interesting coming from that kind of really tight-knit insular community and seeing what that looks like and then um you know like that's really applied itself across all my work since then since since um, my childhood growing up in rural kansas and so um so when i like when i went out to cornell right and i had i had the ability to do my own creative design project i really wanted to make sure i tried to source like my dyes from within the cornell community and so um for my for my solo exhibition um during my phd i had um I sourced my natural dyes from Cornell dining. Like I got um, onion skins from one of the dining houses. That I love to go visit all the time anyways. And then I got black bean soaking water from a different one. And so I was like walking up these really steep hills um, <laughs> with like buckets of black bean soaking water. Um, that's not really <laughs> bad after a day. And so like, it was just like, it was this really, um, interesting, um, like collaboration that way. But then also with the Cornell natural dye studio, um, you know, we, we really got to know individuals within the Ithaca community who are using natural dyes. And I think I'm kind of a, I'm a naturally shy person. I'm like the shyest extrovert you'll ever meet. And so just like having this kind of ability to, to meet people locally first and then kind of think about, you know, connecting to the broader natural dye community um, really gave me confidence to do that. And so now that I'm back in Kansas, I'm really excited um, to keep working with the broader community. But I'm also working with a couple of professors here at Kansas State University. Um, we hope to start the our own um, kind of fiber shed in this region and connect more um, wool producers and um, grower, like uh, flex growers and dyers and um, start growing a community here, a hopefully a fiber producing community. I think when you when you do live in a place with a lot of rural settings like Kansas um people can be very insular um we're just protective of you know like of of who we are I think in our families and um when you grow up in a really small community it's like everybody knows everything and so and so like I think that makes people a little more protective too and so I I do like I respect this um like you really just have to like get out there and meet people face to face and shake hands and um i'm really looking forward to building that while i'm now that i'm back here in kansas um yeah you know it's 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 interesting being back home for sure
1: yeah that's a very interesting background to have and I'm <laughs> excited I'm really excited to see where it goes and also to see kind of how those influences live in your work.
0: i mm-hmm. I'm I definitely, you know, I started playing around with the shirt waist dress um silhouette I think in that last collection and I really want to keep going on with that idea just there's so many memories connected for me to it like to the shirtwaist dress and what my grandmothers wore and mennonites or i mean you know lots of different communities have a tradition of once someone passes on um they'll take the clothes from that individual and make a quilt out of them and so i think that's a really another really fascinating um way that like a, a garment is embodied and then it becomes dispersed like they'll make multiple quilts and hand them out to the family and so um, I want to keep thinking about those kind of broader, just for creative design. I'm hoping to think of those broader things.
1: And also, I'm really curious about how you're able to sustain your projects. Um, mm. I know it's really difficult for fiber artists, especially being in the research and development phase to sort of be able to sustain, um, what have been some of the ways that you've been able to do so and maybe some of the challenges and continuing to keep moving forward?
0: Um, so some of the ways, so the way I'm really able to sustain my work is that it gets to be part of my job. So every kind of, um, kind of academic field is different as to what gets to count as being a part of your work. And so for some academics, that's just a lot of of research and writing research papers. For some academics, that is teaching a lot and producing um, knowledge, you know, through their teaching. And then they they might do a little research about teaching too. And um, in the field of apparel design, fashion studies, it's it's kind of evolving name-wise, but um, our work, lots of times, you can do things, you can do like a variety of things that count, Um, for your job and so part of it's always teaching but then Mm. part of it also can be creative design work Um, and so I get to do it where you know I am when I do creative design work I can submit it to conferences or to um, exhibitions in different places and I get to count that as part of my job and um, you know when I go up for promotions or tenure later on like they, they look and see like what creative design work have you done? Where has it been submitted? Um, you know, also what research papers have you published? Um, you know, what have you been teaching? Like they, they look at a, kind of this, hopefully it was like a holistic snapshot of the work you've done. And so for me, um, academia was so um, perfect because not only could I teach people the subjects that I'm really passionate about, but I also get to count my creative design work as part of my job. And, um, and sometimes I get a little financial support. I have, um, especially at Cornell, they have the Cornell Council of the Arts that supports artists and creative design um, work. And so I got some small grants from there, but a lot of the times it's, it is self-funded. Um, you know, I have to buy my own fabrics, find my own dyes. And so I think because of that too, I've always kind of been really curious um, I've always looked at like secondhand materials. Like, as an undergrad, I cut up Hawaiian shirts and made new garments. You know, like it was all upcycling. And then for the dyes, it's a a lot of times been like, um, you like reuse like sawdust or um, onion skins from dining, from Cornell dining, mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. And so, um, thrifting fabric from places, using old bed sheets, or I'm really curious. i I really want to try and use a bunch of um, you know cotton muslin scraps from the students um, that they, you know, they like, they use all this um, off white cotton to make their mock-ups of their garments and then it often gets discarded. And so I'd like to use that. And so um, that's kind of part of it too. I do a lot of um, secondhand reuse type um, projects that I uh, transforming something into something else. And so um, it's kind
1: of a combination of those two things. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And do you have any new projects or future prospects that you'd like to share with our listeners?
0: Um, yeah. So myself, along with Britt Bowles from Sea Spell Fiber, um, everybody should go check her out. She, um, an incredible part of the indigo community of natu- in our natural dye space. Um, we are actually starting our own podcast called the Natural Dye Podcast, and it really came from my work during my dissertation. Um, I had a chance to talk with, you know, over around 30 natural dyers and everyone, you know, almost everyone that I talked to talked about um, wanting to connect more with the broader community. There's, there's really incredible resources, um, much like the Just Fiber podcast, um, you know, it's <laughs> just like you guys, you have such a such a great place. Um, for weaving. You guys, you really cover it all, and I love it. I just, now I really would like to have a space just for natural dyers. You know, we have a lot of, like, our own specific um, issues that come up or, um, you know, or joys that we find in dyes, and so um, I think it'd be, yeah, I'm really excited to to start the, the, the Natural Dye podcast with Britt. Um, uh, beyond that, I have been offered and accepted a position for um, a full-time faculty here at Kansas State University. So I will be um, a professor in the interior design and fashion studies department starting next year. Um, yeah, I just, it feels like I'm really, like this is the beginning of a lot of really exciting projects coming forward. And so I'm excited to really, to, to graduate from Cornell this spring, um, get my PhD and start my long-term job as a fashion professor.
1: Amazing. Shout outs to you for having such a huge contribution and a huge array of work. And you are just graduating. Like that is so amazing. Like my mind is kind of blown by that.
0: You are so kind. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) And also um, for our listeners, I'm also going to be on an episode of Kelsey's podcast when it airs. So I will definitely make sure that I let everyone know to listen to that episode when it comes out.
0: Yes, um, we are very excited to have you on the Natural Guy podcast. Cannot wait to interview you.
1: (laughs) And where can people go on social media and the internet to follow your work?
0: Well, I am on Instagram. Uh, In fact, actually, that's where I find a lot of my research participants is on Instagram. And that is Kelsey Doty, uh, K-E-L-S-I-E-D-O-T-Y. And then I also have a website, KelseyDoty.com. And if anyone has any ideas or people you think we should interview for the Natural Dye Podcast, you can always send us an email at um, naturaldivepodcast at gmail.com very um, open to any thoughts you have
1: amazing so before you go we have one question that we ask everyone that joins the podcast and that is do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts
0: my advice for fiber and textile enthusiasts first of all don't be scared of reuse. Always search out um, ways to reuse secondhand garments, yarns, fabrics. Um, get to the thrift store. Find old bed sheets, you know, uh, denim jeans that no longer have a use because maybe they have too many holes in them. Just explore what has already been produced. I think that is just an incredible way to start, especially when if you're starting out. Um you know, uh, get some get some lovely linen yarn from Gist, and then just go and cut up a bunch of t-shirts and weave something crazy. You know, I think it's just really freeing, first of all, to use um, secondhand garments, and I think um, I think it's just a great way to reuse things that might otherwise be discarded. And then, my second point of advice would be. To honestly get to your local library and um look at the other textile books out there you might be really into weaving but who knows maybe knitting is next for you i think um i've just found a lot of um, like incredible resources getting into a physical space like a library um and 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 seeing what other books are out there on other subjects and maybe it's actually something on botany that inspires you um to stay open to the possibilities
1: Amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. That's a wrap. If you're interested in finding out more about Kelsey's work, you can find links in the show notes at www.gistyarn.com episode 103. Next week on the podcast, Sarah is speaking with the team at Muse Art about their work creating hand-spun, naturally dyed yarn from silk in Northeast India. So thank you for tuning in this week and don't forget to tune in for next week's fascinating episode. And until next time, happy reading!